Hello, everybody, and welcome to Libromancy, a podcast about the magic of books. I'm Josh, and today I'm talking about The Necromancer's House by Christopher Buhlman. So let's believe in the magic of books. Uh, I hope I, I was pronouncing Christopher Buhlman's name right. I think I am, but uh, you never know. So first off, this book, I, I chose to read this because I'm doing the bingo challenge on Reddit, and one of the squares is horror, and this is uh, classified as a horror, and so I decided to read it, and that's why I am. But it is, I like this book a lot. There are a lot of good things about this book, and there are a couple things that I feel like were just maybe not as good, but they don't bring it down too bad. So first off, let's just talk about a couple things here. Uh, Characters, characters I thought were really good. His characters are very believable in this, you know, kind of unbelievable way because they are, you know, magic and we are not. They call themselves luminous if they have the spark. Christopher wrote some really good characters with really good flaws, and he made it very, very believable, and in a non-spoilery way, because I know this is the first chapter, so it's not bad, but he starts our main character in an AA meeting, and he's talking about that and he deals with that the whole book you know um, his AA and it's so it's so real like he felt like a real person who just also happens to be able to do magic and then the way he approaches magic is very relatable and real like oh yeah I would totally do something like that if I could do magic now there's obviously a couple other things that he's obviously going to do that we aren't going to be thinking about right away for ourselves right but the relatability is there the relationships between these characters is there there is maybe one or two characters that I would say yeah this one's more of a blank slate but I feel like our main characters the ones we spend the most time with are very rounded and the ones we see less of the more we see of them the more rounded they would become but because we obviously don't see them we, we aren't able to spend that time with them now uh, another thing about this book is I looked at the table of contents I don't generally do that when I'm reading a book I kind of just skip to the start but this one has 135 chapters and that's 410-ish pages which means it's about three pages you know mileage may vary there per chapter, but in reality, there are quite a lot of very, very small chapters that are less than a page on my phone. Now, this is not a bad choice for the way he writes it, because the scenes he writes in those very small chapters are very effective, but sometimes I was like, okay, I don't need a chapter here. This could have just been like a a summary break, you know, a break in between, you know, put a paragraph space, switch character, put a paragraph space, but that's, that's his choice, and I can't critique that because I am definitely not skilled enough, but there was a lot of that, and I it's just like, okay, these are chapters, but sometimes the chapter for me means like, oh, break, you can go do something else. You can stop for a second. And it just kind of it felt me, felt odd to me sometimes. Another thing I noticed is a lot of very small sentences. So two word sentence, two word sentence, three word sentence, and they weren't bad. I can't, I'm not trying to make it sound like it's a bad thing of the book that he's done this. It's just something I noticed and I didn't quite enjoy it so much. Now, maybe I would have enjoyed it if it was a little bit less or if I'd noticed it less, but I did. So there it is. Now, another thing is that this, this book falls, I, I have a hard time trying to figure out how to say this, but not hard. It's crude. There are a lot of crude um, jokes jokes or sentences or things like that in this book. But there's also surprisingly wholesome scenes where nice things are happening and they're comforting each other and they balance each other out. But the crudeness is not necessarily just being crude for crude's sake. Like it makes sense every time he's saying it. It's just not what I was expecting at all when I picked up this book. So I can't fault it for being crude more than just I would have preferred it a little less. Uh, There were a couple like sexist kind of jokes, but again, he 
plays them through these characters so well that you know it's just the way the character is seeing things and that I don't know what Christopher Buhlman's real attitudes on any of this stuff are, but I have to just imagine that it's not exactly what his characters are putting out, right? So it's the it's just a weird mix of crude and not crude. You'll go a bunch of pages and then it'll be like, oh, crude, 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 and then a bunch of not, and then a little bit of crude, and then a wholesome and a wholesome. So it is what it is. Now, I feel like we're just going to have to get into the spoiler section here because there is so much to talk about with this book. If you haven't read it yet, I, I do recommend it. It was pretty quick for me and a lot of fun. So let's talk about our characters first, our main, main character here, Andrew Ranulf Blackenship. And I love that he, he goes by that the whole time that he, he introduces himself with his full name more often than just, you know, by Andrew. But then a lot of people know him and he is our main character. He's just a guy. He is a magic user. He's training or kind of starting to train this girl named Annika and he kind of wants to have a relationship with her, a, a more relationship, a, you know, romantic one. She's not um, kind of interested in that, but Andrew is kind of interesting. You could tell he's got this kind of paranoid mindset because he's, he know you could talk or he thinks about his defenses that he's built up around his house and he is our necromancer. It's his house. And for a book about necromancy, there was surprisingly little and it's not even the necromancy that you're thinking of because um, Andrew's uh, magic specialty is film necromancy and cars. So let me explain what that means. Film necromancy, he can kind of like interrupt people in a film, VHS, and get them to kind of break and talk to you so they can, you know, you can interrogate them and talk to them and they'll answer your questions. Sometimes they freak out if you don't do it at the right spot and he calls it letting the trap door open. It's very unique and interesting when he says that because you could just tell it's like, and then they're in and he's got the person he's talking to him. And and like one of the wholesome things in this book is that he uses his necromancy to create an AA sponsor for himself. Uh, I don't remember the name of the guy who is his sponsor, but it's this uh, guy on TV who is a big proponent of AA and he talks to him and he's just like, hey, you know, you're still willing to be my sponsor. And the guy remembers it over and over, you know, throughout the time because he uses the same tape and I was like, this is so wholesome. Like this this guy who you've kind of brought back is totally like chill with you doing that and being like, hey, I'm here to help you. Let's get through this together. It's just so nice, you know? And then his other thing is cars. You know, he makes the, he can make a car run on water. He makes a car so it can, you know, it's unnoticeable and no parking tickets, no speeding tickets. And then I love this one. He's like, and if you, he made it so if you believe it'll fit in the spot, it'll fit in the spot. And if you don't believe, then it won't. That's a huge thing in this book is that the magic is about 50 50% belief or more. If you believe it'll happen, it'll happen. If you don't believe, then it's not going to happen as well or as effectively or it'll cost more power that you don't have, right? So Andrew's our main character. He is training Annika and we're going to get to kind of what happens next. Our next main character is Annika. She is um, you know, obviously Andrew's friend. She is learning to be an adept or a luminous and she turns out to be a big stone um, luminous, which means she's really good at carving or using groundwork and you could think of her as like an earthbender basically right really cool like that then we have this is real deep spoiler territory but we have Ichabod Ichabod is an interesting thing he we don't know who he is we don't know what he is but like those scenes where he is in I'm like you feel the way that Christopher Buhlman puts them against each other puts Andrew and Ichabod against each other I was starting to be like oh yeah like I totally feel for Ichabod Andrew just like lighten up and relax like but then I'm like um wait a minute isn't Ichabod like controlling like all these people in this building and he's willing to kill them all just because? And I'm like, um, I need to rethink this. Like he totally suckered me into to, like falling for Ichabod is just like, oh, he's 
sympathetic. And it's like, yeah, maybe he's sympathetic, but like, we really don't know because we don't know anything about him. Not even Andrew knows anything about him, and he's the one who brought him back. So we're going to talk more about Ichabod a little bit later, I think, though. Haint. Haint was an interesting one. He's a user, uh, a magic user, Luminous. Uh, Luminous or user, sorry, I'm probably going to switch between because the book kind of does. Um, He is really good at killing, and he's pretty crude, if I remember right. He likes to just kill people and strut his power around. So he was an interesting one. I have to say, though, because we're not going to talk about Haint again after this, uh, he's all about death, right? He loves killing any artifact or magic spell he can get about killing. He wants it. But to die by throwing up snakes, that is the worst. Like, he gets cursed by our next character we're going to talk about, Baba Yagi, right? And he just starts throwing up snakes. But of course, non-poisonous ones are small enough that he's not going to die from it. But it cracks his larynx. He can't talk. He can't do anything. And he just, like, continuously coughs up a snake you know 30 seconds reset cough up another snake and i'm just like whoa please that is a horrifying image and i just don't want that anywhere in my brain but now it's in your brain if you hadn't read the book already so i hope you enjoy that now we're going to talk about baba yaga the big bad of this book because um well, we're going to skip ahead a little bit. We have um, Nadia. Nadia is a Rusalka, which is basically just a Russian mermaid, but they like to kill you. So they, they kiss you, they have sex with you, they kill you, they drag you underground, underwater. And this Rusalka, Nadia, kills Baba Yaga's son. Now, nobody, of course, they didn't know he was Baba Yaga's son. I'm not sure he even knew how Baba Yaga's son he was. But nonetheless, Baba Yaga doesn't take too kindly to that. Um, so she starts and she's coming to bring in this war against uh, Andrew. And I know we're talking, this is a mix of plot and character, but she is less of a character because we don't see too much about her. We just see the fear and we feel the fear palpably from everybody who kind of comes into contact with her of how afraid they are, how afraid Andrew is of her. And so she's this big presence but we never really see what more there is to her until the very end which was just hilarious they've been fighting this this big duke out fight back and forth with magical blows i mean not like a punch and fight of course but you know you'll you'll get there when you get there it's really good but she has been dispossessed and she's trying to take over a body and she can't do it so she goes to the house over and she's like oh crap i'm gonna get you know there's this i don't even know what to call it i don't remember what the book calls it but it's uh, basically an entity that destroys ghosts or you know collects them and forces them into the beyond or just destroys them and she's like i'm not ready to go to the beyond i don't want it i'm never going there and so she tries to possess a dog but the dog's too fast and runs around and she can't get it and so she ends up possessing a pregnant skunk at the last second and you don't know did she make it out did she not she even comments before when she's taken over the dog like how long am i going to have to spend as a dog before i remember you know who i am and how to get do stuff and to switch into a real body so like who knows but i love that it was just left just ever so slow slightly open and it's just nice we have a uh, michael rudnick he's a uh, the stone teacher he's gonna the one who teaches annika a lot he's a pretty fun dude he comes in to help andrew at the very at the not the very end but the the end of the book and just be like hey you know i'm here to help you against baba yaga because you know she's an unspeakable evil and just kills a lot of people and we're trying to stop that yeah so the plot basically is though baba yaga's son gets killed she comes back for revenge turns out she was She's a body switcher, and she switched bodies with her, not switched bodies, but she killed her daughter's soul and took her daughter's body so that she could continue living on. And she's bringing a war against Andrew to bring back, get back all of the Russian books that he stole. And we have this nice back history that we get slowly throughout the whole book where he's like, I don't want to, he's like, I don't want to talk about this, but like, here's what happened. And he kind of like tells a little bit about it. You can get these hints and you know that they had a history. So let's just talk about some of the really cool magic in there, which he turns 
his car buttercup into a minotaur with michael rudnick and it's an amazing scene it goes after the house with the chicken legs oh just sweet and i love that he uh he's decked out his bathroom so he has an inexhaustible toilet paper roll as long as you believe it has toilet paper it's got toilet paper and if you fall down into the tub uh, head first hard enough to crack your skull and kill yourself you can go anywhere you can kind of remember and talk about and think about so and then you can get back the same way so he's just like oh man this is like interesting stuff and i loved that foreshadowing the whole time he's like oh every time somebody comes into his house he's always like okay make sure you leave you know here go out the same door you came in Go out the same door you came in and to the very end I was like okay he's been he's been saying this the whole time it's gotta come through come through and it does and it was just like oh how do you kill an unkillable guy you shrink him to smaller than an ant and let a, a farm of ants just eat him and kill him and it was whew. I, and that might sound gross but it was it was nice and it wasn't actually that gross and then we're talking about Ichabod here we find out that he's some sort of uh like higher being almost and michael summoned him to save his wife but he'd actually summoned him the time before when she died when he was drunk driving and he got her killed and then the entity was able to give her another year and a day basically until she had to die and can't send him back and he's always giving him these commands and he's like oh i had a goal and i couldn't kill this person this uh person a summoned me and told me to kill person b but person b told me you know commanded me with the same kind of thing that i couldn't hurt them so i had he's like so i've done you basically see that he's done all of this since the past. Like he was there, and then he went away, and now he's back, and he set this all up for um, to kill the Baba Yaga. So just a little bit creepy and spooky, and we're like, what is he? Who is he? But I have to say there was a lot of good foreshadowing. There was a lot of good plot and the atmosphere. Just the feeling of the horror and the magic was just like, some. Not all the magic was creepy, but like the way he has to set up all the spells when he's going through it, and you can just kind of feel the way it feels in the air, and then the horror scene, the horror thing he feels, were like very vivid and good without being shocking because I, I feel like in my mind at least a lot of horror gets conflated with jump scare slash you know freak out like ah you know but horror can be a lot more subtle and I feel like this is a little bit this is more of this subtle horror where if you're not feeling it you're not seeing it right away and then like oh my gosh this is horror and like oh it's right there in your face so let's see again I really enjoyed this book and I felt like the characters did good the logic was there you know I didn't feel like any of the characters were like oh yeah let's just do this all of a sudden that, that didn't fit and oh, again I forgot to mention this when Michael Rudnick pulls a uh, a meteor out of the sky to try and kill Baba Yaga that was pretty sweet so I think that's going to be everything I have to talk about the necromancer's house by Christopher Buhlman I really enjoyed it uh, it was a nice creepy horror without being kind of jump scary or over the top and ridiculous well 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 formed characters a great atmosphere and good writing jobs i mean i I could tell that he was very deliberate in all of his writing whether or not it works for me is you know the story but uh, that's how it goes so that's going to wrap up my discussion thanks everybody for listening and thanks to david hillowitz for the intro and outro music of course if you have any questions or comments please send those to libromancypod at gmail.com you know please like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from and remember to believe even the magic of books.